And joining me now is Pat Hickey, longtime hockey writer and columnist for the Montreal Gazette, a man who's been watching the Habs for a, a very long time. Um, what, tell me a bit about today. What was it like to, to be at this at this major event and, and just to see all the faces there? It seemed like it was a who's who of hockey that turned out today. Yes, it was. Uh, you know, there were the NHL commissioner was there. There were probably 75 former players, most of them former teammates or former Canadians. The entire current Canadians team was there. Uh, there were also some surprises. Joe Sackett, who played briefly with, uh, with Guy in the Quebec Nordiques, uh, came in. Daryl Sittler was there. Uh, so it was, it was quite, the, quite a lot of hockey royalty there. What was it like? I mean, you, you mentioned uh, that, that there were a lot of people outside. They really uh, made sure that people felt included in this event. Yeah, I think that was very important. Uh, what they did was they set up two enormous giant screens outside. And uh, so people were able to watch the ceremony, listen to it. Um, they even, you know, this was a, a Catholic mass. So uh, at one point when it came time for the communion, they actually sent a couple of priests outside to uh, to administer communion to the uh, to the people who were waiting outside, and um, you know it was it was very much very much uh, you know geared to the fans. Uh, uh, he lay in state for two days at the Bell Center. Tens of thousands of people showed up over the two days, and um, you know it was one of the thing one of the things that they uh, emphasized. In talking about Guy over the years is, is generosity and, and how he never turned down an autograph. And I think that what they wanted to do was they wanted to give the fans a chance to say goodbye and uh, to show their appreciation for, for what he did, both on and off the ice. Yeah, what, what was that like? I mean, I remember, obviously, the Rocket funeral stands out for me, Rocket Richard's funeral, and what an important place he had in Quebec history. What was your sense of, of, of Guy's place today? Well, I think that I think he has a similar place to to uh, to uh, Rocket. Uh, you know, when he won the Memorial Cup with the Quebec Rampart, that was a turning point in uh, in Quebec hockey. A Quebec team, the Montreal Canadiens, Montreal Junior Canadiens, had won it the first two years two years before that. But this was the first time that a team from the Quebec League. Won the uh, won the title because the junior Canadians played in the old OHA, and uh, most of the top players in the in the in Quebec, most of the top junior players either went to the junior Canadians or, in some cases, like Marcel Dion, and uh, you know went went outside the province to play for OHA teams. And of course, this is all played out against the background of the Quebec Quiet Revolution and Quebec being becoming uh, more aware of itself as, as a, um, you know, as a distinct entity in Canada. So, you know, in that respect, he played a very important role. What stood out for you today, Pat, at the, uh, given how much time you spent with Guy Lafleur over the years, what stood out to you today from those who got up to speak, the fans that were there? First of all, that he was greatly loved. Uh, everybody that, that came in contact with him, um, appreciated uh, his grace, his skill, uh, and and his, his generosity of spirit. You know, he he was always willing to help players, just as he got help along the way. I mean, you know, various times he talked about uh, Jean Beliveau and Yvonne Cornway and what they did for helping him in his career. 
and uh, and he passed that on to younger players. And uh, Guy Carboneau talked about that today when he first arrived, and Guy helping him. And, uh, and of course, Yvonne Cornoyer helped Guy. Uh, he's the guy that uh, convinced Guy to take off his helmet, and then he became the demo blonde uh, with the long flowing locks flying down the ice. And, uh, uh, I think there were probably he played on a team that won four. He won five Stanley Cups. They won four in a row, and that team had seven Hall of Famers on it. And it's hard to say who was the best player in the in that group, but certainly Guy was the most exciting player. Yeah, you've said that in the past that Guy Lafleur may not have been the best hockey player of his generation, but he was certainly the most fun. To, one of the most fun to watch. Yes, he was. You know, when he got ahead of steam. And uh, in the last couple of days, we've seen a lot of the goal that he scored in the 79 playoffs. The Canadians won the brink of elimination against Boston. They were down 4-3. That was the famous uh, too many men on the ice uh, penalty. Uh, uh, and people to this day make fun of Don Cherry for not being able to count to six. And, you know, you see the see him. Coming out of the coming out of his own end at top speed, passing the uh, passing the puck ahead to uh, Jacques Lemaire, and then he takes a return pass and he just unloads with a one timer, and uh, that's the sort of goals that that Guy scored. I mean, there's some players that uh, that score goals by being gritty and being you know around the net, uh, taking advantage of rebounds and things like that, but. But he scores. These goals were mostly goal scores. Goals, great shots, and uh, and and usually, you know, off the rush. Uh, there were very few players who were as creative as he was. Steve Shutt once said that, uh, you know, you never knew, never knew what he was going to do because he didn't know what he was going to do. I'm speaking with Pat Hickey, longtime hockey writer and columnist for the Montreal Gazette about the uh, funeral today, the state funeral for Guy Lafleur in Montreal after two days of uh, visitation that was held at the Bell Centre so fans could really get involved. Uh, after this, we'll talk a bit more about, about Guy's legacy uh, and, and, and just a bit more about, about the impression he left because he had some tough times with the Canadians there when he retired uh, and then came back to hockey. And there were some years there where he wasn't really part of the Canadians organization. We'll talk about that after this. I'm speaking with Pat Hickey, longtime hockey writer, columnist for the Montreal Gazette about Guy Lafleur's funeral today. Um, and all those who turned out, Maple Leafs were there. There's lots of former Canadians, current Canadians that were there. Larry Robinson spoke about losing both Mike Bossy and Guy Lafleur in, in, in short succession. Uh, it, I guess for, for someone watching the game now, it is, it is odd to see that generation now um, starting to pass away, that 70s generation, that early 80s generation of players, of stars. I mean, it is sad. I mean, I the problem is, you know, like, you know, at, at some point, everybody's going to go. And, uh, you know, in Guy's case, it was probably, um, you know, a bit premature. He's only 70 years old, which is, it's not young, but it's not old either. And uh, Mike Beliveau was 83 when he died. Um, and, so it was, you know, it, it's it's sad. Um, I know that in the case of, you know, for example, Yvonne Conway, who's a little older, and, um, you know, he's seen a lot of the players that he started out with. And, uh, you know, when he was playing for Toe Blake, a lot of those players are gone now. Uh, we lost on Henry Richard um, uh, last year, and... Uh, and that was that was kind of sad. That 
he probably would have had a big funeral too, except that uh, he happened to die during the, the COVID pandemic and all the restrictions. And uh, and he was certainly in the in the same class with these players. Pat Gilafleur had a bit of a of a complex. I mean, I guess so did Rocket Richard, but he had a bit of a complex relationship with with the game and with the Canadian organization for a while. There was that. Was that how how did that play out? And was that all healed? Yeah, I think I think it was healed at the end. You know, certainly for the last uh, fifteen twenty years, he's worked as an ambassador. Uh, there there are some times when. Uh, that didn't work out quite the way the Canadians expected it to be because he was incredibly honest. There was no filter. If he, uh, you asked him a question, he would answer it quite, uh, quite honestly. Uh, there was a famous comment uh, years back when he was asked about the, the makeup of the team, and he said they don't have a first line, a second line, or a third line. They have four fourth lines. And... Uh, you know that that didn't go over well. I don't think with the management, and I think some of the players might have been a little miffed uh, when he said that. But um, at one time, he suggested they get rid of Brendan uh, Gallagher and Max Pacioretty. Said they'd never win with them, and these were two of the more popular players on the team. Uh, uh, but they say he just, you know, if you asked him a question, he would he would answer it honestly, and. Uh, he was uh, he was quite involved in a lot of community projects. Uh, if the Canadians needed uh, needed some help on a project, he was always there to to help out. He was involved in a very strange. Uh, every year, he handed out the Gila Florida Awards, and these were for hockey players in the, at the junior level and the university level uh, who achieved academic excellence as well as being uh, you know good players on the ice. And he always thought that was a little ironic. I think his own education ended at grade ten, and um, you know he would he would very self-deprecating, um, you know, point out the fact that uh, it was very strange that he would be handing out these awards for academic excellence. Pat, you you, you saw him over many 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 years. What are your memories? What are your best memories? Or what are your most uh, significant memories of Gila Fleur? Well, you know, my, my memory, uh, I first saw him play for the Quebec Run Park, and um, he got 130 goals that year. Uh, I know he first came on the radar when he played in the Quebec Pee Wee Tournament. I, I don't remember that, but uh, uh, he won the MVP award there three years in a row, which was unheard of, and especially coming from this small town, uh, in Quebec, which probably nobody had ever heard of Thurso before, he uh, he arrived on the scene and started playing hockey. Um, I saw him play a couple of times in the Rempar, including a, some games in the Memorial Cup, and you just knew that this guy was going to be a star. Um, he just had that charisma about him, and um, you know, as if just going back to this whole thing, he was an exciting player. Now the first couple of years of the Canadians, I think he was a little, um, a little frustrated. I I would say because he didn't have that immediate success. He had twenty eight, twenty nine goals in his first two seasons, and it wasn't until the until the next year they put him with uh, uh, Steve Shutt and Frank and Peter Mahovlich, and um, you know they they suddenly took off as a line. That's when he started scoring uh, fifty goals. 
But was he fun to? You know, was he fun to? Was he a nice guy to, to spend time with? Was he a nice guy to interview? Was it? I mean, he was the, the star, right? Oh, he was a time he, stuff. He was very nice, very nice guy to interview. In the beginning, he was very shy. Um, you know, it took it took him a couple of years to to feel comfortable in that uh, in that arena. Later on, I mean, he um, I think he was one of the first players to publicly criticize Scotty Bowman. But by that time, he was uh, he was such a a dominant player on the team. Uh, you know, he was one of the guys who would get away with with doing that. You know, saying, uh, you know, well, you know, the coach works us too hard and that sort of thing. And uh, I remember talking to Scotty one time and and talking about the players of that era, and he pushed them really hard. And he said that his one regret was he wasn't able to tell those guys how great they were. And of course, he had seven Hall of Famers uh, during that uh, eight or nine year run that he was uh, he was the coach, and and Bluffler was certainly you know one of the top players. Do you think um, Do you think Guy would be would be good today? Do you think he had the kind of skills that were timeless? Oh, I think he I think he'd be good today. I think you know one of the things is. Um, you know, he would benefit from uh, the equipment, for example, changing. Um, he would probably benefit a little bit from the uh, uh, from the makeup of the teams. Um, I was talking to one former player, you know, saying that in those days, you you had guys like you know Bossy and, and Lafleur. They had to be good because they had they had guys hunting for them all the time. And they had to use their speed. And, of course, Bossy, you know, his career ended because he just of the constant pounding that he took in his back. And, uh, no, I think he would have been great. He would have been great with uh, with composite sticks. Uh, he played uh, with a wood stick. And, uh, you know, you can certainly get a lot more whip with the uh, with the new sticks and new equipment out there. Um, and I think he would have benefited from the rules, which which allow players with skill to to have a little more room, a little more um, chance to to do things. A last thought on Guy for uh, for listeners as we say goodbye to him. Well, I, I think he'll be missed. Uh, you know, he was always fun to be around. Um, you know, he was always. Uh, willing to to give you time and then to talk to you, and you know, for someone in my business, uh, you know, that's that's always uh, it's always good. Um, today players, um, you know, have a lot of media training where basically they're told not to say anything, and uh, you know, Guy was he was refreshing. He was always uh, he was always full of life, and that's when it's always tough, you know, when you see somebody who is full of life and it suddenly is gone.